0: there i'm leah ben miller the worship leader of the local church and you're listening to the local church podcast featuring the messages from our sunday liturgy the local church is a bold inclusive faith community based in chatham county north carolina and our mantra is our mission love where you are we gather for affirming anchoring and empowering worship every sunday morning at 10 a.m at woods charter school and online via facebook live and youtube No matter where you find yourself physically, spiritually, or emotionally, you belong at the local church, and we're so glad you're here. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but they doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am always, with, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God for all God's creation. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory God is what our hearts long for to be overcome
1: by your
0: presence.
1: Lord. So last week we celebrated uh, Pentecost, the birthday of the church. and uh, every year on the Sunday after Pentecost Pentecost, we celebrate Trinity Sunday, Trinity Sunday and Trinity Sunday celebrates the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, And that's why Kimber offered the grounding moment that she did uh, this morning with Rublev's Trinity icon. We have it on the table um, often as well. And here's why. A week after a new community is constituted at Pentecost, the church, the body of Christ, the the hands and feet of Jesus in the world, the church takes time to reflect on the fact that, that we are made in God's image, in the image of God, made in particular in the image of God, whose very nature and being is community. That's what, that's what Trinity is all about. Three in one, one in three. I preached on Trinity last summer for our Ask Us Anything series. It was last August. And, and so if you missed it, you can catch up on the podcast. I'm not going to repeat everything, but I am going to share a couple of key takeaways um, about Trinity by way of introduction and sort of setting our foundation for this morning. Uh, first, the word Trinity is never found in the Bible. It's not in Scripture, uh, but the understanding of God as three persons in one essence grew out of early Christians who were working to make sense of how God is described in Scripture. Uh, Like in Genesis 18, uh, which is what the Rublev icon depicts, and also in the words of Jesus that we heard this morning uh, that John read, uh, these words, "'Go, therefore,' And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? We would call that a Trinitarian formula. That's what scholars and and, uh, biblical scholars call it, is the Trinitarian formula. Anytime you see uh, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit in that order in Scripture. And so the question then becomes, how do you reconcile this Trinitarian, Trinitarian formula with the belief that there's only one God, right? And so in the fourth century, at some fancy church councils with a bunch of bishops, uh, the idea of Trinity emerged as a way of describing uh, the, that sort of God who can be three and one. And the payoff then is that in Trinity, the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer, you may have heard as well, uh, the three persons can be one and yet distinct. And in that In that movement, there is a mutuality, there's a giving and a receiving, there's a a constant invitation and a constant including, constant widening and opening of oneself to another, while also a constant surrendering of self, sort of like a dance, which is exactly how theologians have come to describe that movement uh, and function of Trinity. The word is perichoresis perichoresis, uh, which literally means to dance around. Peri, around, choresis, like choreography, dancing, to dance around. And if it's all a little uh, little too complex to understand, uh, you're an excellent company. Uh, It's been said that the Trinity is not something that you can understand, it's something to be experienced. Not something to be understood, but something to be experienced. But the bottom line is that a Trinitarian God reveals itself in community. A Trinitarian God reveals itself as community, and that has significant implications then for how we live as those made in the image of God, how we exist as a church, how we exist as a people, how we exist as a movement. But coming to experience and know God as Trinity also offers a corrective for a church that has historically and often missed the mark. How are we doing? You with me? You with me? I didn't lose you with Trinity. Okay, good. Uh, it, It offers a corrective for how the church has historically missed the mark, especially when it comes to interpreting and applying the passage that we heard today, that John read, a passage commonly referred to as the Great Commission. I'm going to share more on that. In just a minute, and how it offers that corrective, how it has been uh, misused and harmful. Uh, But first, I want to echo the welcome of our uh, wonderful music team, uh, our wonderful worship team, to say that my name is Brent. I serve as the pastor here at the local church, and uh, it's such a gift to be with you. We say uh, that we hope for three things each and every time you connect with us in any way, whether you're in person or participating online. Uh, We want you to feel affirmed, anchored, and empowered. That is, affirmed in your humanity as the beloved child of God that you are, anchored in the good news that we share together each week and empowered them to take that good news uh, toward your next faithful step, whatever that might be, to to love where you are. Our mission is our mantra here at the local church, love where you are. And so that's our hope, affirmed, anchored, and empowered all by God's grace. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey or on no journey at all, you have a place here at the local church, and we give thanks for your presence. We're more whole with you. If you hear nothing else this morning, if you hear nothing else, hear that, that, that we are more whole with you and that this community is transformed By your presence. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'd love to do that. I'll be uh, at the door after the service and would love to say hi. If you don't want to meet me, there are plenty of other doors that you can sneak out of. But if it is your first time, uh, invite you to fill out a card um, in your seat so that we can come to know you more fully. Uh, we'll follow up, and then uh, what we're going to do is, we've started doing this uh, over the last month or so, is uh, for anybody who's new, um, we're going to give you the option to, to select an organization in Chatham that's putting more love in the world, and uh, we'll make a donation to that organization in your honor. You get to, 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 to select that. And so, um, uh, so we invite you to fill that out so that we can follow up and, and give you that opportunity. Look at you already making a difference. How about that? Isn't that great? So, as we begin this morning, let's uh, just be quiet for a moment. Holy God, Holy One, Holy Three, in your grace, in your openness, in your invitation, you have incorporated us into your dance a dance of love a dance of creativity, a dance of delight, a dance of divinity. Catch us up anew in that dance this day, oh God. That we might hear anew and see anew, be inspired and empowered anew, to be open ourselves, to take that dance into all of creation. Inspire us, enliven us by your spirit, Oh, God. Amen. So, in today's passage, we encounter Jesus and the disciples. He's been uh, raised, and the 11 disciples meet Jesus on this mountain where he's told them to go. And and Matthew says that when they see him, they worshiped him, but some doubted, which I love, by the way. I I, I find it permission-giving to ask questions and explore and examine the faith. I find comfort and camaraderie that even there, even with Jesus right in front of the faces of his closest friends and followers, some still doubted. Permission giving, to ask questions, to explore and examine and take uh, 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 continued steps toward uh, the God of love. And then Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and remember that I am with you always to the end of the age. And that's how Matthew's gospel ends. That's how Matthew's biography of Jesus, it just just ends there, fade to black, these beautiful words of Jesus. These words have come to be called the Great Commission. Maybe you've heard it before, the Great Commission. The word commission literally means sent with, sent with, co-mission, co-mission. Mission Mission means sent, co-together, right? So sent with. Um, And so maybe you've heard these words of the Great Commission before. Maybe you've had them on the back of a mission trip t-shirt at one point in your life, anybody? Um, but, uh, But the Great Commission in Matthew wasn't always called the Great Commission. Here's a little history. It wasn't until the year 1792 when a man named William Carey read through Matthew's gospel came upon this passage and found himself somewhat disgusted uh, by what wasn't happening, by how this mission wasn't being lived out in his view. And in a piece of writing called, and I'm not making this up, An Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathens, in this work, William Carey wrote this. Multitudes sit at ease and give themselves no concern about the far greater part of their fellow sinners who to this day are lost in ignorance and idolatry. Sounds fun, right? And so it's in this work that William Carey coins the term the Great Commission to describe these words from Jesus about going and making disciples of all nations and baptizing them and teaching them to obey. And this this, uh, this, this process, this, this idea should raise some questions for us, uh, for the disciples and for us. Jesus' words should raise some questions. Uh, uh, among others, what does it mean to make disciples? And what does it mean to make disciples of all nations? What's Jesus getting at here? And the difficult reality is that because of a particular way of responding to these questions, immense harm has been done in the name of Jesus, in the name of making Disciples. Because remember what's happening in the late 1700s? You've got the exploration of new lands and new worlds. You've also got the Industrial Revolution coming online. And it makes for this perfect storm in which white Europeans show up in these new places, God's providence, they believe, and they begin to ask a particular question Who am I? Who am I? Who am I here in this new place among this new people, among these creatures? that I've never seen before? Can you imagine? And this isn't necessarily a bad question. It's a good question. Who am I? But the trouble, the trouble comes when they begin to answer this question alone, without the voice and witness of those that they've encountered. The trouble comes when they begin to unilaterally categorize and compartmentalize and isolate everything and everyone else that doesn't look like them or talk like them or act like them, centering themselves in their own experience. And because they're there on a mission, the task of making disciples for these white Europeans comes to mean fashioning or cultivating a people, sinners lost in ignorance and idolatry, as Carrie might say, fashioning these people to become just like them and their understanding of Christianity rubber stamps cookie cutter Christians right off the production line. That's the Industrial Revolution influence there, often without regard for the other's culture or history or humanity or gifts, God given gifts or voice. There's no mutuality, there's no selflessness, there's no invitation, there's no concern. For the other. And we know what happened, don't we? Abuse, coercion, manipulation, violence, and death, all in the name of Jesus. It's had its benefits for the missionaries. You can't lose sight of that power, land, privilege. And so it persisted all in the name of Christian mission, making disciples of all nations. Here's how the late Desmond Tutu described what happened when colonial Christianity came to Africa. He said, when the missionaries came to Africa, they had the Bible, we had the land. They said, let us pray. We closed our eyes. When we opened them, we had the Bible and they had the land. I think it's important to be honest about how this passage has been used and misused. The Great Commission has been used to encourage colonization, coerced conversion, indoctrination we have to try, we don't have to try to explain it away or sweep it under the rug we we can call it what it is and we can also what it, call it what it's not which is decidedly not god's mission of healing reconciliation and restoration and mending for a wounded world but this didn't just happen then I talked a few weeks ago about how in high school on a mission trip in New York City, we were tasked with standing on street corners asking people if they had Jesus in their hearts without any regard for who we were talking to or their story or their background, their their God-given gifts and the like. And this continues in a number of Christian circles today with messages like you can't be XYZ and Christian, conform or be cut off. And the message is clear. I want to change you. I have something you need and you need to be more like me because this... Whatever this is, is what it means to be Christian. And the Great Commission says, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Basically, it's just being guilted into guilting other people into half-heartedly believing in this thing just to get out of the conversation as fast as possible. Or maybe, maybe you hear these words of Jesus and you think, come on, I don't have time for one more thing. I don't need one more reason to feel like I'm not enough. Maybe that's what happens in you when you hear these words. I'm willing to bet that any or all of these reasons might be why some of us feel a little icky when we hear this passage. And maybe in response, we just want to ignore it or skip over it. Maybe some of us just want to burn the whole thing down, walk away completely. And to be sure, some have. Some have. Super uplifting, right? Everybody feeling the good news this morning? Yeah? So how about some? How about some good news? You ready? What might it look like to then instead reimagine these words of Jesus. What might it look like to reclaim this idea of making disciples of all nations? And I think that today, Trinity Sunday might give us just the corrective we need, just the lens that we need to see this passage in a whole new light? What do we see when we look through the lens of a God whose very nature and being is community, is relationship, who constantly gives and receives in mutuality, in selfless love, and invitation and surrender? So what is Jesus getting at? Let's start with what it means to make disciples. A lot of different ways that you can translate the word disciple, but at its core, all the disciple means is student. All that it means is student. Go make students, Jesus says. And notice that he doesn't say, go be teachers, go be rabbis, go be gatekeepers. There's only one teacher, and that's Jesus. And so what Jesus is getting at here is that the best way to learn, the best way to be a student is to be a student together. Go learn in community and practice what you're learning together. It's not about transaction or production or conformity. It's about relationship. It's why no one learns how to play piano just by watching a bunch of YouTube videos and then sitting down at a piano to bust out some Rachmaninoff, right? That's not how it works. It's why school on Zoom didn't work and why it was so challenging for so many. We learn best when we're with other people, when we're learning together, when we're students together. And so when Jesus says, go make disciples, he's just really saying, you're a student, find some other students, and be students together. That's it. What then does it mean to make disciples of all nations? As we've noted, some have taken this to imply that Jesus's message needs to be spread far and wide by any means necessary. Conquest. Conquest if that's what it takes. But what's important to remember is that Matthew is writing here to a particularly Jewish audience, one that has particular beliefs and understandings about who could be included as God's people and who couldn't. And so when Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, it's not a directive for conquest or colonialization as much as it is a radical invitation to widen the circle. It's about tearing down walls and blurring lines as if to say, those things that you thought kept you out before They don't matter anymore. Everyone can be included. The way of the student, being a student of the way, isn't an exclusive club. There's no private lounge. You don't need a membership. All nations implies that anyone can be a student, regardless of, of where they're from or what language they speak, any creed they adhere to. Anyone from any nation is included. And if that isn't clear enough, this point is hammered home when Jesus tells them to baptize, Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Trinity, right? Christians didn't invent baptism. Baptism was a part of the, the Jewish faith and functioned as a sort of cleansing ritual. But when Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan, it takes on a new and expansive meaning. For Jesus, it's an affirmation of his identity. A voice from heaven says, you are my son, the beloved, and you I am well pleased. And in the same way, baptism functions as an acknowledgment of God's love for them too. A love that can not be earned or taken or purchased. And it's also an initiation and incorporation into a new family. Again, it's about inclusion and God's acceptance and love, period. Full stop, nothing to earn, no script to memorize, not, no to-do list to stress over, no doctrine to regurgitate. It's just the wild and ridiculous and overwhelming love of a God whose arms are open wide, an inclusive and inviting love that's worth sharing and receiving a love that finds its most pure expression when met in another, when activated in another, in community, in relationship. Earlier this week, I was uh, talking to a new church planter friend. We were comparing notes and uh, talking about our respective churches and and our dreams for for the places we serve. And, And he told me that his hope for their church... After I went, he went second. He told me his hope for his church isn't to have a lot of people or a big budget. It's not to have a bunch of full-time staff members and uh, uh, with lots of mission work that makes an exponential impact on the community. I said, it's not. Go on, tell me more, right? He said, what I tell our folks is, we just want you to be friends with each other. We just want you to be friends with each other. That's it. It's the dream. And I kind of love it. It struck me actually that becoming a community of friends is how all of those other things might happen. And looking through the lens of Trinity, a God whose very nature and being is community, is relationship, I've got to believe that it's what Jesus meant when he said make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Just go and be friends. Learn together, grow together, share and play together, delight together because friendship, true friendship isn't transactional. It's not coercive. It's not manipulative. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not controlling or abusive or shame inducing. Instead, I've heard it said that close friendship is made up of three things. Somebody to talk to, somebody to depend on, somebody to enjoy. Somebody to talk to, depend on and enjoy. And now some may may critique and say that this is a a watered down gospel or this somehow diminishes the costliness of discipleship. And I think that's a fair question. but, But I think in response, I might ask, you ever tried friendship? It's hard, right? It's risky. It's messy. But it's so worth it. There's a give and a take, a mutuality that opens oneself to the possibility of another. I like how uh, Paul, uh, theologian Paul Waddell puts it. He says, the true friendships are not relationships we control, but adventures that we enter into. This is what Jesus sends his disciples toward, friendship, friendship. That's, this is what it means to go and make disciples of all nations. It's to make friends, all kinds of friends, receiving and then pouring out the love of God just like Trinity because this is who God is. The very nature and being of God who is relationship. Yeah, amen. And it's who we are at our most alive as well. So this is my prayer for you, my friends. If you've been on the receiving end of Christian coercion, made to feel less than in the name of Jesus, I pray that you will know your worth and feel your worth, that God delights in you, Loves you, enjoys you, and calls you good, period. If you ever read the Great Commission and felt guilty or ashamed because it felt like you weren't doing enough, I hope you'll find peace in this newfound truth that you are enough, period. If you've ever been intimidated by what it means to go and make disciples, I pray that you will open yourself to the real, to the adventure of real, authentic friendship, that you'll experience the rush of connection mutuality and opening and surrender and someone to talk to depend on and enjoy. And I pray that we not just you and me, but all of us here will become friends. Not only because in so doing, we're most fully living into the triune God of community and who God created us to be. But because as theologian and author, Diana Butler Bass has put it, friendship isn't just good for friends. Friendship is, is good for the world. In the name of our triune God, who is community, who is friendship. Amen.
0: If you love what you hear, share this episode or send it to someone who could use a little good news this week. We'd also love for you to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It's an easy way to share the love. You can learn more about the local church at our website, growlocal.church or just come see us one week. Thanks for listening and love where you
1: are.